Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Okay, Peyton just had her phone so bright it well, almost. Yeah, because I can't see it if it's like. Oh my god! I my I just opened the phone and it blinded me. I literally opened it and went ah! Like my eyes did that. <laughs> oh, and I'm almost finished reading a love story. It's so cute. If there's any parents out there, any moms, I don't know. Maybe dads like to read love stories too. But it's a book called The Spanish Love Deception. Oh my God, it's so cute. And I'm just finished. Um, I got like 10 pages left of the book that comes after it. And it's called The American Roommate. Yeah, the American. Yeah, I had my hand. I know. I, the American Roommate Experiment, I think. Anyways. Oh my gosh. It's so. They're just so cute. And the third book comes out on September 5th. So. Oh. My heart's pitter pattering. Your dentist appointment? <laughs> That's what you want to know when your dentist appointment is? Oh, shoot, tomorrow. Oh my gosh, tomorrow. Peyton! I don't know, but today's Wednesday, but tomorrow at 9, 9 or 9.30. Uh, Peyton? Good job. My orthodontist dentist is on a September day. Yeah, but not your first one. Okay, anyways, let's read. I'm sure. Okay, cool. A series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Book the eighth, the hostile hospital. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chapter 10. At this point in the dreadful story I am writing, I must interrupt for a moment and describe something that happened to a good friend of mine named Mr. Siren. Mr. Siren was a. L- whoa. A lep. Oh my gosh. Here's another word that I don't know. A lepidopatrist. A word here which usually which usually means a person who studies butterflies. In this case, the word here, lepidopterist, means a man who is being persuaded by an angry government official. And on one on the night that I am telling you about that they were right on his heels, Mr. Siren looked back to see how close they were. Four officers on in their bright pink uniforms with small flashlights in their left hands and large nets in their right realized in a moment that they would catch up and arrest him and his six favorite butterflies. They're going to arrest butterflies? Okay. Which frantically were flapping alongside of him. Mr. Siren did not care much if he was captured. He had been in prison four and a half times over the course of his life. And a long and complicated life, but he cared very much about those butterflies. He realized that these six delicate insects would undoubtedly perish in a bug prison where poisonous spiders, stinging beetles, and other criminals would be, <laughs> what? Would rip them to shreds. So, as the secret police closed in, Mr. Siren opened his mouth wide as he could and swallowed all six butterflies whole and quickly, placing them in a dark, but safe confined in his empty stomach. 
It was not a pleasant feeling to have these six insects living inside of him, but Mr. Siren kept them there for three years, eating only the lightest foods served in prison as to not crush the insects with a clump of broccoli or a baked potato. When he was sent to pr- when his prison sentence was over, Mr. Siren burped up those grateful butterflies and resumed his lepidopatry work in the community that was so much more friendly so much more friendly to scientists and their specimen. I'm telling you this story not just to reveal the courage and the imagination of one of my dearest friends, but to help you imagine how Klaus and Sonny felt as they watched Esme Squalor, disguised as an associate of Dr. Fuckjuano, walk down the hallway of Heimlich Hospital, carrying the long, rusty knife, disguised as a surgical tool to be used on Violet. The two youngsters realized that their only chance of finding a surgical ward and rescuing their sister was to try and fool this greedy and stiletto greedy stiletto healed villain. He, stiletto healed villain. Ow! Oh gosh, sorry. I had to take a bandaid off. And I had to rip fast like I was a little kid because ouchies. Oh, okay. Um. Okay. Uh, I'm so sorry, you guys. Don't be mad. Okay. The two youngsters realized that their only chance of finding a surgical ward and rescuing your sister was to try and fool this greedy stiletto-heeled villain. But as they approached her, just like Mr. Siren, during his fifth and final prison sentence, the two Baudelaire's felt the unpleasant fluttering of butterflies in their stomach. Excuse me, ma'am, Klaus said without sounding less like a 13-year-old boy and more someone like somebody who had graduated medical school. Did you say there were... Did you say that you were an associate of Dr. Fluctuano? If you're someone with a hearing problem, Esme said rudely, don't bother me. Go to the ear ward. Um, I'm not somebody with a hearing problem, Klaus said. This, the woman and I are associates of Dr. Fluctuano. Esme stopped in the middle of stabbing the floor and stared down at the two siblings. Klaus and Sunny could see their eyes shining could see her eyes shining behind the veil of her fashionable hat as she regarded the children before replying. I was just, I was just wondering where you were, she said. Come along with me and I'll take you to the patient. Patsy, said Sunny. What is she saying, Klaus said quickly, is that we're very concerned about Laura V. Bledio, wait, how do you, Bledio tie, Bledio tie? How do you say her name in the... It's like Bledioti. Well, you won't be concerned for too long, Esme, Esme replied, leading the children around the corner to another hallway. Here, you carry the knife. The evil girlfriend of the... Uh, the evil girlfriend handed Klaus the rusty blade and leaned in closely to talk to him. I'm glad you two are here, she whispered. That brat's little brother and sister haven't been captured yet, and we still don't have the file on the snickets. The authorities have removed it for their investigation. The boss says that we might have to torch the place. Torch, Sonny said. Mattathias will take care of that part, Esme said, looking around the hallways to make sure nobody can hear hear them. All you have to do is assist with the surgery. Let's hurry up. Esme walked up the staircase as fast as her shoes could carry her, and the children followed nervously behind her. Klaus holding the rusty jagged knife. With every door that they opened, every hall that they walked down, and every staircase that they ascended, the youngsters were afraid that at any moment Esme would see their disguises and realize who they really were. But the greedy woman was too was busy pausing to yank the blades out of the stiletto heels of the floor to notice any that the two additional associates of Dr. Fluctuano bore a very strong resemblance to the children she was trying to capture. 
Finally, Esme led the Baudelaire's to the door marked Surgical Ward, which was being guarded by somebody when the children that the children recognized at once. The guard was wearing a coat which read, Heimlich Hospital. And the, and the cap... What are you doing? Oh. <laughs> I literally, I was like, are you about to fart on me? That's what I thought you were doing. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what is, is she about to crop dust me? <laughs> the guard was wearing a coat which read the Heimlich Hospital and a cap that had the word guard printed on the black print. Printed, printed in big black print. But, I don't want to be rude to put my feet on you. So Aw, thank you. But Klaus and Sunny could see that this was another spurious disguise. The siblings had had seen this in person at, Do- at Democle's dock when poor Aunt Josephine had been their guardian. Democle? Mm-hmm. Oh, Democle's dock? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I've been calling it Democle's this whole time. Um, and they had to cook for this person when they'd been living with Count Olaf, the spurious guard. How do you say that word? Spurious? Oh, you don't know. It didn't say it in the movie. Guard had an enormous person who looked <sighs> neither like a man nor a woman who had been assisting Count Olaf with nefarious schemes as long as the Baudelaire's had been escaping from them. The person looked like the children and the children looked back at him, certain that, this, that they would recognize her. But Olaf's assistant merely nodded and opened the door. They've already anesthetized a bratty orphan, Esme said. So you, you ladies, merely need to go to the room and bring her the operating the bring her to the operating theater. I'm gonna try and find that sniveling bookworm and that stupid baby with the oversized teeth. Mattathias says I get to choose which one we can keep alive in order to force Mister Poe to give us the fortune, and which one I get to rip to shreds. Good, Klaus said, trying to sound fierce and villainous. I'm so tired of chasing those kids around. Me too, said Esme, at the enormous assistant and nodded in agree- and the enormous assistant nodded in agreement. But I'm sure that this will be the last time. Once we've destroyed the file, nobody can accuse anybody of any crimes, and once we murder, murder the orphans, the fortune will be ours. The villainous woman paused and looked around her to make sure that no one was listening. Then, satisfied that no one could hear her, she laughed wildly in triumph. The enormous assistant laughed too. Peyton. An odd laugh that sounded like a squeal and a howl at the same time, but the two Baudelaire youngsters tilted their mask face back and made noises as if they were laughing too, although their laughter was was spurious was as spurious as their disguises. Klaus and Sonny felt more like being sick rather than laughing pretending to be as greedy and evil as Count Olaf and his trope. It had never occurred to the children how these terrible people acted when they didn't have to pretend to be nice, and the two siblings were horrified to hear the bloodthirsty things Esme had said. Watching Esme and the enormous assistant laugh together made butterflies in the Baudelaire's stomach flutter all the more, and the youngsters were relieved when Esme finally stopped laughing and ushered the children into the surgical ward. I'll leave you ladies with the hand, in the hands of our associates, she said, and the Baudelaire's immediately saw the horror in what she meant when Esme shut the door behind them. The children found themselves facing two more of Count Olaf's wicked associates. Well, hello there, the first one said in a sinister, oh, sorry, well, hello there. Is that sinister? The first one said in a sinister voice, pointing at the two children with an odd-looking hand. One of those fingers curved out like an odd ang- at an odd angle, while the others hung limp. 
like a socks hung out to dry, and Klaus and Sonny could see at once that this was the associate of Olaf, the one who had hooked ha- hooked hooks instead of hands, wearing rubber gloves to hide his unusual, dangerous appendages. Behind him was a man whose hands were not familiar, but Klaus suddenly recognized him just as easy, just as easy due to the hideous wig he was wearing on his head. The wig was so limp, white, and curly that it looked like a heap of dead worms, which was not the sort of wig one forgets. The children had certainly not forgotten forgotten it from when they had been living in Paltryville and realized it realized at once this person was the bald man with the long nose who had been assisting Count Olaf since the Bodler's troubles began. The hook-handed man and the bald man with the long nose were among the nastiest members of Count Olaf's trope, 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 what is that word? Trope. (laughs) But unlike the majority of the nasty people on this earth, they were also quite clever, and the two young siblings felt the butterflies fleeing their stomachs increase, potentially a phrase here which meant get much, much worse. As they waited to see if those two associates were clever enough to see that the children were were in disguises, I can see through your disguise," the hook-handed man said, and placed one of the spurious hands on Klaus's shoulder. "Me too," said the bald man. "But I don't think anyone else will. I don't know how you ladies managed to do it, but you look much shorter in those white white coats, and your faces don't look as pale as under those surgical masks." The hook-handed man agreed. These are the best disguises, Olaf, I mean, Mattathias, has ever cooked up. We don't have time for this talking, Klaus said, hoping that the associates wouldn't recognize their voice. We've got to get in the room 922 right away. Oh, you're right, of course, the hook-handed man said. Follow us. The associates began walking down the hallway to the surgical ward as Klaus and Sonny looked at one another in relief. Quit, Sonny murmured, which meant they don't recognize us either. No, Klaus replied in a whisper. They think that we're the two powdered face women disguised as, as the associates of Dr. Fluctuano instead of the two children disguised as a powdered face woman in disguises. Stop all that whispering about disguises, the bald man said. If anyone hears you, it's going to be the end of us. Instead of the end of Laura V. Bleedioti. Bleedioti. I don't even know. The hook-handed man said with a sneer, I've been waiting to get my hook on her since she escaped from marrying Mattathias. Trapped, said Sunny, sneering the best she could. Trapped is right, the bald man said. I already gave her the her the and I already gave her the anesthetic, so she's un, so she's unconscious. We all all we have to do is lead her to the operating theater and you can saw her head off. I still don't understand why we have to murder her in front of all those doctors, the hook-handed man said. So it can look like an accident, you idiot. The bald man sneered in reply. I'm not an idiot, said the hook-handed man, stopping to glare at his fellow associate. I'm physically handicapped. Just because you're physically handicapped doesn't mean you're mentally clever, the bald man said. And just because you're wearing an ugly wig, the hook-handed man said, doesn't mean that you can insult me. Stop all this arguing, Klaus said. The sooner we can operate on Laura... Bleedioti, the sooner we'll be rich. Yes, Sonny said. The two criminals looked down at the Baudelaire's and then nodded at one another sheepishly. The ladies are right, the hook-handed man said. We shouldn't behave unprofessionally just because it's just because it's been a very stressful time at work. I know, said the bald man with a sigh. It seems like we've been following these three orphans forever, only to have them slip out of our grasp the last minute. Let's just focus... 
on getting the job done and we'll work out our potential problems later. Here we are. The four disguised people reached the end of the hallway where they were standing in front of room marked 922 with the name Laura V. Bleediody scrawled on a piece of paper and a tape beneath. The man took out the key of his pocket and the metal coat and unlocked the door with a triumphant grin. Here she is, he said, our little sleeping beauty. The door opened with a long, whiny creak, and the children stepped inside the room with a square and which was square and small and had heavy shades over the windows, making it quite dark inside. But even in the dim light, the children could see their sister as they almost gasped at how dreadful she looked. When the bald associate had mentioned Sleeping Beauty, he was referring to a fairy tale that you've probably heard 1,000 times. Like all fairy tales, the story of Sleeping Beauty begins with once upon a time and continues with a foolish young princess who makes up a very who wake makes a very angry witch oh who makes a witch very angry and then takes a nap until her boyfriend wakes her up with a kiss and insists on getting married at which point at which point the end of the phrase happily ever after the story is usually illustrated with fancy drawings of napping princesses who always look very glamorous and elegant with their hair neatly combed and a long silk gown keeping their keeping her comfortable as she snores away for years and years. But when Klaus and Sunny saw Violet in the room 922, it looked nothing like a fairy tale. The eldest Baudelaire was lying on a gurney, which meant which is a metal bed with wheels used in hospitals to move patients around. <laughs> This particular gurney was rusty, just as rusty as the knife that Klaus was holding, and its sheets were ripped and soiled. Olaf's associates had put her in a white gown and filthy sheets. Anne had twisted her legs together like vines. Her hair had been messily thrown over her eyes so that no one would recognize her. Oh my gosh, this is like the longest chapter. From the face of the daily punctilio, her arms hung loosely from her body, one of them almost touching the floor of the room on the limp. Uh, the one, touching the floor of the room with one limp finger. Her face was pale, as pale as an empty surface of the moon, and her mouth was open slightly in a vacant frown, as if she were dreaming about being pricked with a pin. Violet looked like she had dropped into the gurney from a great height, and if it were not for the slow and steady rise of her chest as she breathed, it would look as if she had not survived the fall. Klaus and Sunny looked at her horrifying, horrified sis silence, trying not to cry as they gazed at their helpless sister. She's a pretty one, said the hook-handed man, even when she's unconscious. She's clever too, said the bald man, although her clever little brain won't do any good when, she, when her head's been sawed off. Let's hurry up and go to the operating theater, the hook-handed man said, beginning to move the gurney out of the room. Mattathias said that the anesthetic would only last for a little while, so we'd best start the craniectomy. I wouldn't mind if she woke up in the middle of it, the bald man said with a giggle, but I suppose that would ruin the plan. You ladies take the end, take the head end. I don't like to look at her when she's frowning like that. And don't forget the knife, the hook-handed man said to Dr. Fluctuano. Dr. Fluctuano, I will be supervising, but you two will actually be performing the operation. The two children nodded, afraid that if they tried to speak, the two henchmen would 
hear how anxious they were and become suspicious. In silence, they took their places in the gurney where their sister lie without moving. The Baudelaire's wanted to gently shake her by the shoulders or whisper in her ear or even just brush her hair away from her eyes, anything at all to help their unconscious sibling. But the two youngsters knew that any affectionate gesture would just give away their disguise. So they walked alongside the gurney, clutching the rusty knife, as the two men led the way out of room 922 and through the halls of the surgical ward. With every step, Klaus and Sonny watched their sister carefully, hoping for a sign that the anesthesia was wearing off, but Violet's face remained still and blank as the sheet of paper on which I am writing this story. Although her siblings preferred to think think about her inventing abilities and conversational skills rather than her physical appearance it was true as the hook-handed man had said that violet was a pretty one and if her hair had been neatly combed instead of all tangled up she, and she had been dressed in something elegant and glamorous instead of a stained gown she might indeed have looked like an illustration from a sleeping beauty but the two younger baudelaires did not feel like the characters in a fairy tale the unfortunate events of their lives had not begun with once upon a time, but with the terrible fire that had destroyed their homes and Olaf's associates led the square metal door led them to a square metal door at the end of the hallway. Klaus and Sonny feared that their lives would not end like a fairy tale either. The label of the door read Operating Theater, and as the hand hooked hook handed man opened it with one curved glove, the two children could not imagine that their story would end with happily ever after. Dun dun dun!